have a couple of announcements, and then I'll introduce our speaker. Uh, one announcement is that there was a car key that was found uh, after the first hour, our worship hour. So if you're missing, it's a, it was a single car key, not on, uh, not on a ring or anything like that. And uh, the person who found it looked at the key and said, it looks like it belongs to an expensive car. I don't know how you can tell that from the key. It didn't have, it didn't say, you know, BMW on it or anything like that. But nevertheless, there is a key at the information center. So when you leave today, if you can't leave today, that might be why. And that will be at the information center for you. And then the other item is I was told that we're going to have a sign-up sheet circulating in here for the Trenton Summer Festival. Um, but I don't see anyone taking responsibility for that. So don't worry about it. Uh, if you do see a clipboard go by you, then make sure you pass it to someone rather than just get engrossed in what our speaker is saying and then leave it next to you so that everybody sees it. But that is for volunteers for the Trenton Summer Festival at the end of June. And for those three days, we have two-hour slots for folks to man the booth at which we will be handing out literature about the church. So we need people to volunteer for that. All right. Today we're delighted to have with us uh, one of our missionaries to the field of China, Nathan Gerhardt. And I've known Nathan for a number of years. Uh, he's a graduate of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, where I attended as, as well. And I've had the pleasure of knowing he and his family for many years. Uh, they are an outstanding family, very committed to the Lord, and committed to the Lord in uh, the way of being willing to go to a restricted access country to serve, even with a, a young family. So uh, he is here on uh, furlough to give reports to his supporting churches, of which we are one. So he's going to give a report about what's going on in China, and then, if time permits, have some Q&A at the end. He also has a table set up out in the uh, foyer area with some literature about their work there and a laptop set up with some information as well. So make sure you avail yourself of that. Nathan, please come. So good to have the opportunity to share with you all this morning. As I was driving in this morning, I was realizing how important the city of Trenton is to me. I've never been a resident of Trenton, but as I was driving in, I remembered that on uh, September 11th of 1979, one of the most significant moments of my life occurred. I wasn't born yet, but my wife was born here in Trenton. And so I'm thankful for this place and for its significance in my life. Um, I'm thankful for the, the fellowship and the support, the partnership that you all as a congregation have invested in our family and in, in, in our ministry. I, I want to begin just uh, kind of remind you about our family. Uh, right now, my wife and kids are up at our home church, Maranatha Baptist in Clarkston. And uh, we've had a kind of a crazy week. And so we decided it would be best for our family if they... Uh, experienced a little bit more of, of normal and went to church, church with grandpa and grandma. Um, so I'm sorry that they're not with us uh, joining us for this, this time today. Uh, but uh, we have four sons. Sam and Gabe are ten twins, and then Max is eight, and Cal is five now. Cal was two and a half uh, when we moved to China on August in August of 2013. And so he's spent half of his life uh, in China. And so he still is a little confused about his identity. 
and he he really is convinced, trying to convince his brothers that this used to be home, and China is home now. We're excited about his adjustment and his understanding of those things. Um, before I forget, uh, on the back table out there, you can find our prayer card, but you can also find a uh, just a blank sheet of paper for you to sign up for our email updates. On a monthly monthly basis, we do our best to try and give you a, an accurate picture of our experience and especially ways that you can pray for us. So we'd appreciate it if you don't receive those monthly updates to sign up for those. And then there's also a, an added column I just threw up there uh, today. If you would be interested in receiving my wife's regular blog updates as well, you could do that. She's been writing about her experience uh, raising our family there in China. And so you get a little bit of a different perspective if you sign up for hers. And that'll just be delivered right to your email inbox if you if you check off that on that column that you want to receive those. So uh, please uh, continue to keep in touch with us through that means. We continue to be encouraged as we visit churches by um, by the way that people know us when we come back and talk to people in 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 foyers and churches. Uh, it's uh, it's impressive. It's uh, it's humbling to have conversations with people who. You know, it seems like they know what's going on in our lives, like up to last week or at least last month in the conversations and the questions they ask, because they're clearly reading these things and they're clearly praying for us. So we are very thankful for your support and partnership with us in those ways. Uh, during this time, what I'd like to do is I would like to, I'd like to accomplish kind of three things. I'm going to show a video, a video that will kind of give you like eight minutes that capture two and a half years of our lives that kind of focuses in on our goals for our first term. Really, our primary goals were to get adjusted to living in China and get a good foundation in learning the Chinese language. So you'll see a report about those things. And then when I come back, I'm going to just share um, particularly one lesson that God has impressed in our lives. We'll look at a passage of scripture together, but it'll be more of a, more of a testimony than a teaching time. And then I would love to take some time to answer some of your questions. So I kind of give you that roadmap so you can even be thinking now about some good questions that you might be interested in, in, in learning more about. When we first got back, one of the first churches that we visited, we, um, we had the chance to sing David Livingston's famous missions song, Lord, Send Me Anywhere. I, I don't know how many times we've sung that song, but it was particularly poignant to me to sing that song and think about the words that kind of, I think, reflect the Great Commission. Uh, Livingston says, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. And so he's making this request of God to be true to the promise he makes in the Great Commission. The Great Commission contains commands, but it concludes with this promise from our Lord that he will be present with us even to the end of the earth. And so as we sang that song uh, for the first time returning as furloughing missionaries, we were singing those words, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. And it, it struck me that we can sing those words in the past tense, in a sense. You know, the Lord has sent us, not anywhere, but to Suzhou, China, just outside of Shanghai, China. And he has been with us. And that reality, the, the, the presence of God with us and the... Um, the trustworthiness of the promise of the Great Commission has, has been very evident to us all throughout our time. And if there's anything that we want to share and report, 
it is that, that God is worthy of our trust in regard to the promise of the Great Commission. Uh, I, I hope that even as we share and you see this video, that it'll, it'll embolden and encourage you uh, to consider the possibility of uprooting your family and moving to the other side of the sea. But if not that, to be confident that where you are, uh, that, that God's promised presence will sustain you as you are seeking to faithfully carry out your Great Commission duties. So I'm going to let the guys show that video now, and then I'll come back and, and follow up on it. When Jacob came to the end of his life, he told his son Joseph that God had shepherded him his entire life long. I think that when you think about missions, you could actually argue that, in a sense, the history of missions is the history of God extending the scope of his shepherding work among the nations. As he does that, he, through history, has used all kinds of different servants to accomplish that. And in this day, uh, missionaries participate in expanding the flock of God to different regions and different places. So as missionaries, we feel like we're in a unique position to have the opportunity to be involved in the work of God expanding his flock, but also to personally experience his shepherding ministry in our lives in a place we don't belong. Uh, we have seen his guidance uh, as we have made decisions that we couldn't predict the future about. We have seen his feeding, uh, feeding our souls with spiritual food in places where we aren't receiving, our kids aren't receiving Sunday school lessons and we aren't receiving the regular preaching we had received in the past. We are seeing his protection. Um, we have not experienced major difficulties. We have been protected by our shepherd. And uh, perhaps most comforting of all, we know and have seen his um, his knowledge of us. Our shepherd knows us, and he has taken great care of us as we have sought to, to serve him. Our primary goals for our first two years in China uh, were to, uh, to get our family settled into day-to-day life in China in relationships with people. And to, uh, to do that, we had to begin uh, starting the slow work of learning the Chinese language. Uh, from the very beginning, I was terrified of the prospect of learning Chinese, but very quickly discovered that language learning is something that I enjoy a great deal. And so uh, the Lord has uh, allowed me to go from really not being able to speak more than hello in Chinese to reaching a point where I am conversational at a, at a middle intermediate kind of level in Chinese and um, I'm going to let my uh, my tutor say a little bit more about what he thinks about my Chinese. So, Gangyan他很愿意将他的一个梦想就是能够用中文来讲神学的课程来服侍中国的教会，所以他这两年一直在学习。我这么来说，他的汉语进步的水平是怎么样的？差不多所有见到他的中国人。听到他说汉语之后，第一句话是：“哇，你的汉语真好。”第二句话是：“你学多长时间了？”当他回答说：“啊，我来中国还不到两年。”别人就比较惊讶说：“ 
，那你之前学过汉语吗？如果他说我没有，我就是在中国学的，所有的中国人都不相信，怎么可能？你还不到两年就可以说这么好的汉语？<笑>这就是我觉得对他很大的一个肯定和鼓励。神帮助他有这样的心智来中国，来学习汉语，嗯、他非常的用功，所以。呃，其实我是他的汉语，我也是他的汉语的辅导老师。其实他在教我怎么样教汉语，我只是教他一些发音、一些语法，他的方法帮助一个中国人怎么样来教汉语，所以他很棒。对我跟他也学习了很多。So in our first term, language learning really was the primary ministry. But as my Chinese has improved, I've been able to get involved in several one-on-one evangelistic Bible studies. Just recently, I was able to reconnect with two men who didn't claim faith in Christ when we arrived, but now are seeking baptism in their churches. I've also had the opportunity to come alongside several younger pastors, investing in their lives and learning more about their needs. I've preached a few times, but still really need to grow in my Chinese to be able to do that well. The aim of language learning is relationships. Our work in Chinese has paid off in rewarding relationships that have allowed us to learn more about the nature of the spiritual needs here. If I could summarize all that I've learned about the church situation in Jiangsu Province, I think the words of Jesus, "Looking at Jerusalem," would be most fitting. Christians in this part of China, like most places in China, suffer from a great lack of shepherds. 我先介绍一下苏州这里的教会，呃，那么我现在呢是在呃苏州的园区工业园区青草地教会有服饰，啊，我也在读神学，呃，那么我对苏州的教会有一些的了解，那么苏州呢是一个有一千两百万人口的一个城市，呃，但是呢它的信徒基督徒的比例却是非常非常的少。呃，那么家庭教会呢，也就是这么大的一个大城市，加起来也就两百多个聚会点。你们听起来两百多个聚会点挺多，但是每个聚会点也就只有二三十人，平均下来，大部分呢都神都牧这个牧者牧师，他们都没有受过神学的装备，呃，很多都是从农村。直接来到城市来牧养他们从农村来城市打工的弟兄姐妹们，所以呃各种各样的教会都有，比如说灵恩派的，呃有基要派的，呃也有福音派的，还有什么都不是的，所以呢呃有姐完全是姐妹带领教会，呃也有很多疫病赶鬼的事情，真的看起来只是。很多的聚会点，有的聚会点的人数，呃，整个的他们也是很多人，有两千人左右的教会有六间，但是他们分散在不同的聚会点，但是弟兄姐妹的生命，呃，在真理上都很弱，啊、呃，这些牧者都很渴慕学习，但是一苏州一直没有一个呃比较不错的这样的一个神学院。Our long-term goal for ministry in China is to come alongside Chinese church leaders and help them take their next step. 
In order to reach this goal, I will continue working on improving my Chinese, but I'll also be able to do that much more in the context of of ministry. When we return to China, we'll be moving to a nearby city near Suzhou, where we lived in the past, a city called Wuxi, where our boys will be attending an international school. We'll maintain regular contact and ministry in Suzhou, and in our next term, I plan to link up with a local pastor. And begin serving in his church in a role similar to like that of an intern, that will allow me to grow in Chinese and also deepen my understanding of Chinese culture. Please join us in praying for a smooth transition to our new city, Wuxi. Please also pray that God would raise up a group of like-minded Chinese pastors for us to work with. We would also like for you to pray that God would provide like-minded coworkers to join us in China. And、last of all, please pray that these early efforts in language learning and culture learning will reap long-term fruit in seeing a self-sustaining effort to equip China's future pastors, led by Chinese. I I really enjoy、uh, watching that video because. It reminds me of home, because、uh, those things that you see, those strange traffic patterns, and those things that would make you very uncomfortable,、uh, by God's grace and through His providence, we have come to feel like they are normal, and that's strange. <laughs> But it's evidence of of God's work in our lives, and we are we are so thankful for that.、Uh, everything that you saw there was. You know things I've taken pictures of or shot video of. This is where we live,、uh, and it just, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't most of the time. It doesn't take us by surprise anymore, and so we're just very thankful for the way that God has worked to,、uh, to help us adjust.、Um, uh, by the way of、uh, kind of carrying a theme through,、uh, the Lord gave me a chance to,、uh, to spend some time. Instructing some Chinese pastors in a fairly basic kind of、uh, pastoral training program. It was a very, very basic curriculum that we were teaching. And what I did was I tried to give them a big picture biblical theology of the theme of shepherding from Genesis to Revelation. And as I started to trace that theme through, I obviously encountered the theme of God as the shepherd of His people. And then, and then saw the way that God then raises up human shepherds to be His under shepherds. Of course, I encountered the good shepherd in John 10, but it was especially some of the themes in the Old Testament that kind of surprised me. And so, in Genesis chapter 48, I'm going to ask you to turn there. I'm not going to teach Genesis 48 today, but in Genesis 48, I encountered language that. Wasn't immediately familiar. It took me by surprise as I as I looked at it. In Genesis 48, we have a very interesting story. In Genesis 48, Jacob has come to the end of his life. He is in Egypt. This is Jacob, who was the the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. 
who had received the promises of God regarding the promised land, and he should be there in the promised land, he would think, but no, he finds himself in Egypt. Why? Because his sons had sold his favored son into slavery in Egypt. A famine had come, and then as a result of all these providential dealings of God, his family was rescued by this very sinful act of his of his sons. I, I, I can't imagine my sons selling one of their brothers into slavery. I mean, I think we would all agree this is unthinkable evil, right? And so here Jacob is at the end of his life, still in Egypt, passing on to another generation the promises and his hope for the promises to be fulfilled, not in Egypt, but in the promised land. And he calls his son Joseph to him to extend the blessings. And, and in the next chapter, in chapter 49, he's going to call all of his other sons and make prophecies and blessings to them as well. But what he does here in chapter 48 is just strange. It's surprising. What he does, and you can read this later, I'm going to focus on one verse, but what he does is he actually formally adopts his grandsons. He says, he says to Ishmael, not Ishmael, to Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's sons who were born in Egypt, he tells them, today you are my sons. You will replace my eldest sons, Simeon and Reuben. Now in American culture today, that might not shock us as much because we're fairly egalitarian and we don't emphasize so much the rights and privileges of the firstborn son. But this is a shocking thing in an Eastern culture, even like the Chinese culture today, for a father to do, to displace the eldest sons and grant the blessing to younger sons. But even as he does that, he does something even even stranger. Joseph, the passage tells us, Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh before Joseph very intentionally in birth order so that Jacob's hand, his right hand, will be placed on the eldest and his left hand will be placed on the youngest so that the eldest will receive the firstborn blessing. Okay, Joseph's very intentional in doing this. And then his father Jacob, Joseph thinks maybe because his eyesight is dim, he actually crosses his hands and he gives this cross-armed blessing to Manasseh and Ephraim thereby reversing the order, upsetting the rights and privileges of the firstborn and doing something very unexpected. And then Joseph Joseph says, he says, Father, Father, not so. You, you've, you've given the wrong blessing to the wrong son. And Jacob's response is, it is what it is. <laughs> That's not a literal translation. <laughs> he says, no, no, Joseph, I haven't made a mistake. I know, I know, and this is the way it's supposed to be. And he gives a little bit of an explanation about how Manasseh is going to be known for his greatness, but Ephraim will be even known for a greater greatness. But it's not much of an explanation for why this happened this way. And the narrator, as he writes these things, Moses, as he writes these things, he really doesn't satisfy our curiosity as to why. Why did it happen this way? And I think that's intentional. It's intentional because there's all kinds of things in our lives that happen that we can't fully account for God's purposes in accomplishing in this way. 
Jacob's life is certainly that kind of life, isn't it? And so was his father before him, as was his father before him. I mean, the whole story of Genesis is full of these kinds of stories. We can't explain why things happened the way they did. But we see God accomplishing his purposes through them anyways. And in particular, we see what Jacob describes in verse 15. So when Jacob gives this blessing, he blesses Joseph. Even though he has his hands on Joseph's sons, it says he blessed Joseph. And he said, May the God before whom my fathers and Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. It's in the name of this God that he grants this blessing to these boys. And those words just jumped off the page to me as Jacob is describing everything that has happened in his life. I mean, his father-in-law Laban tricked him into marrying the wrong girl. And he says, the God who has shepherded me, shepherded me even on that very day when Laban tricked me. The God who tricked me even on... Not, not the God who tricked me. Well, there's a, let's, let's scratch that from the recording. <laughs> the God who shepherded me on the day that my sons fooled me into thinking that my son had died by wild animal and sold him into slavery. On that day, God shepherded me. I mean, this is, this is an incredible description of uh, expression of faith that Jacob is giving. And it's interesting that in Hebrews 11, it's this very moment that the author of Hebrews records. In Hebrews 11, I think it's 21 or 22, by faith, Jacob gave the blessing to his grandsons, capturing this very moment. And we can see the evidence of, Ab- of Jacob's faith as he reflects. And so my wife and I, as we thought about reporting to supporting churches in our furlough time, we wanted to share this kind of testimony like, like Jacob. You know, and we were concerned that as we shared that testimony, it might come across sounding like some kind of prosperity, health and wealth kind of thing. Like, God has been our shepherd from the day we landed in China, and it's all been great, and he's been such a good shepherd, there haven't been any problems. And that's not at all what has happened. There have been very difficult days. But we can join with Jacob, and and we can actually confess our our days haven't been as difficult as some of Jacob's have been. But God has been our shepherd through it all. And we have seen his faithfulness to us consistently even carrying us through difficult circumstances on purpose for our well-being and for our benefit. So we just want to praise the Lord for his work in our lives, and we want to testify to God's work as a good shepherd, uh, even in the face of circumstances we sometimes would not prefer or choose ourselves. So uh, let let me move from that shepherding theme to think, about some of the opportunities that God has given us to invest in some human shepherds, some pastors in Suzhou, China. There's two men in particular that God allowed me, even at my very beginning Chinese level, to start investing in and even becoming some kind of a mentor to. One of them was my tutor, uh, Gongwei, or his English name is Enoch. Uh, my tutor is just a, a dear, dear brother. And because of our relationship, meeting consistently in afternoons uh, at least three times a week to do language learning times, and because of our mutual faith, 
we oriented all of our language study around the Bible. So then I was able to start investing in his congregation that he's been involved in leading as we have our, our lessons together. So um, Gongwei is part of a congregation that was started as a campus fellowship, a Bible study through, through a, a campus, a local campus. It's about 10 years old. Their congregation has never had a full-time pastor. Uh, their congregation is led by a group that they identify as co-workers, kind of taking Paul's language for his, his missionary co-workers. They use that language commonly in Chinese churches to identify church leaders. So there's some challenges with that because they have women who are co-workers, even though they end up functioning in many ways like a biblical elder might at times, making decisions. And um, in their congregation, they've, they've limited it so that women are no longer teaching, but in the past they were teaching. And so they're, they're in this process of reforming their congregation, uh, trying to organize their congregation according to a, a biblical understanding of things. And the Lord has allowed me to be involved in that process uh, through Gongwei, uh, to to mentor him, and he has just uh, shown a willingness to receive correction, a willingness to um, to listen, and uh, and he's welcomed me into his life and into his family's life. And I just thank the Lord uh, for the joy of having that op- that kind of opportunity, even at a very early stage of ministry in China. And then another brother, brother Joe, um, my 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 youngest son likes to refer to him as. Uh, daddy's, daddy's brother, <laughs> which kind of takes on a different meaning than just calling him Brother Joe. And uh, Brother Joe is uh, a guy who has very little training, but has been kind of by default placed in the position of leading a church because there was nobody else. And so he invited me to, uh, to open up the text he was going to be preaching the next Sunday consistently and just help him kind of do sermon coaching, talking about the passage and helping him try and craft a sermon from that text, and uh, so it's been a joy to have those kinds of opportunities. As we think about the future and we think about what God would have us do, uh, we, we especially, we're, we're involved in all kinds of ministry, from evangelism uh, with our neighbors uh, to basic discipleship in local churches, but we're particularly interested in helping pastors, leaders in the church uh, take, take their next step. And so as we think about the future, we're particularly burdened to see God connect our lives with other Chinese leaders that we can partner with in establishing some kind of program, if you want to call it a program, to to train pastors. Uh, I'm not sure that we should use the seminary term. I'm not necessarily thinking of something necessarily that formal at this stage in what is needed in the area that we're ministering in, in Suzhou and in Wuxi. Uh, but something, something very practical, something very theologically oriented that is equipping men to do the work of pastoral ministry where, where they are there. And to do that in relationship with local churches and in the context of, of, of local churches. And uh, my desire and my hope and my prayer is that even as, as we reach a place at some point to be able to begin such a program, that it will not be uh, me on my own initiating it, but that the Lord will connect my life with Chinese men who will be my peers in starting such a program so that it will take on Chinese characteristics right from the beginning, uh, so that it will uh, not have a lot of work to be undone in terms of the, the contextualization challenges of an American starting such a program in the context of, of China. 
So as we move to another city, we're still going to be able to continue ministry in Suzhou. But as we move to Wuxi, uh, there is uh, kind of a blank slate for us to get started again. So my first project is going to be do, to do a, a survey, to, to do a survey of the churches that are there, uh, to learn the culture of those churches, uh, which will also be a, a language project for me to, to step up, notch up my Chinese and understand more about the life of those churches. And I trust that as I do that, there will be certain church leaders that the Lord will connect my life with who will be particularly good candidates for me to partner with. So I'll, I'll approach them and seek to minister to them and serve them in whatever way I can uh, to be a support to them, not to come in uh, to, to, be a, um, to be a pastor in their church, but really to learn from them the Chinese context of church ministry. So I've reached a, a place in Chinese where I can do that, I can, I can lead a small group Bible study. I can, um, I can get involved in, in helping and being a support to a local pastor in that kind of way. Um, and then you, you've, you've noticed in our writing and then in this video that we also are going to have the opportunity for our boys to attend an international school. And that's a, a huge answer prayer, to prayer for us as my wife is going to be teaching, uh, teaching math at an international school there. The school is organized by believers uh, the staff, the, the, the faculty are all Christians, and uh, they have, they, they don't call it Bible class, uh, I think they call it humanities, but they have Bible taught in, uh, in their classrooms, and it's a really solid organization that we've had friends work for in the past. Her workload is going to be minimal, and so we're really excited. And on top of all of that, I will be able to be her dependent as far as visas go. So I will be free uh, to continue learning. Uh, and to, to get involved in ministry uh, full-time without any responsibilities to teach English or uh, carry out duties working for a, for a business or anything like that. So we're excited about the, the future, the transition. We go back to China July 19th. I go back on July 19th, and I need to find a new apartment and move all of our stuff in a week, and then my family will join me on July 26th, and, uh, and hopefully there will be a place for them to stay and sleep that first night, um, and and then we will begin that semester there in the early August and uh, and get started. So um, there is kind of a, a quick report, some things that God is doing in our lives, and I've given you a lot of time to think about perhaps a couple of questions, if you should have any. What kind of questions do you do you have this morning? Yes, sir. Well, I, I read there's been a crackdown on uh, Christians in China again. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is there a crackdown on Christians in China right now? Um, I was just reading this morning about the similarities between Xi Jinping, the current premier of China, and Chairman Mao. And there are striking similarities. He has taken on the early Maoist era uh, kind of persona and kind of... uh, Kind of the sound of the things he's saying and the slogans he's rolling out don't sound nearly as liberal and opening as they have in the past. And so it is disconcerting on some level. And there have been things done. You know, we hear about these crosses being torn down in these churches and things like this. Um, and so I don't want to say the answer is no. No, there's no crackdown. Yeah, there is. But there has consistently been this cyclical uh, loosening and tightening and loosening and tightening. And um, at this stage in the city we're in, I would still say there's a whole bunch of unregistered churches uh, 
They're doing things like leasing buildings, uh, leasing a space like this, and having church services, which is very open and, and public. And they're not having too much difficulty doing that. Um, so at this point, I still haven't met a Chinese pastor who's been imprisoned. Um, I've met a lot of Chinese pastors. And there are some who have been imprisoned, for sure. But just in my experience, I haven't met them. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a feel. But at the same time, there's limitations. Um, you know, if, if we went out and started hanging door hangers on everybody's home, um, we would find ourselves in trouble fairly fast. So uh, it's kind of a yes and no answer. It's, it's complex. Uh, you can't trust everything you hear from, from these, these ministries that are emphasizing the persecuted church. I'm not saying they're lying, but I'm saying there's two sides to stories. Uh, there's a recent story that comes out of, uh, there's a, a Christian school that was started in a, in a city south, in South China, and several teachers have been, um, have been deported. They were believers. And I've been hearing people say, hey, I heard some missionaries were kicked out of China. And in some sense that's true, but the reality is, uh, from what I can tell, they didn't have the proper requirements in order to be having those teaching visas. And the reason why they were removed wasn't religious. Like, if Chinese came to America and did the same thing, we would be saying, you're not here legally. You need to return to your country. So um, so we have to be careful with some of those stories because uh, often it's more complex than what we see. And unfortunately, many of the times, the people involved in those stories don't speak Chinese. And so their own perception of what's even happening to them is fairly colored by the fact that everything's coming through a translator and, and they can't engage really what's going on in the Chinese language. Good question. That's one of the main ones. Yes, sir. Two questions. In the, in the broad spectrum of Christians, you had mentioned that earlier, uh, and you said like-minded. Uh, do you have trouble uh, getting getting like-minded uh, in your associate, like the international school? Mm-hmm. Do you have trouble uh, finding people that you can work with readily? Yes. Uh, if you took, if you look at the city of Suzhou that we have been in, you know, my tutor described the church situation. There's a lot of churches there, but it is very difficult to find anything that we would identify as a healthy church that we would attend. Um, he himself has had a very hard time finding a healthy church to attend. So many of them are caught up in, um, in, in charismaticism. Uh, so many of them are caught up in some just very strange views um, and almost on the border of heretical, you know, like little little cult type of, of things. So it is not easy uh, to, to find. But th- there are. Uh, there are increasingly, there's increasingly a movement of, of healthy churches in China that is, that is flourishing. Um, but they're not easy to find. And you have a second question. The tiger uniforms on your, on your son's... <laughs> <laughs> the tigers, the tigers jerseys my sons are wearing. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't start conversations with most people. Baseball, if they were wearing basketball jerseys, uh, it would start conversations because Chinese are really many Chinese follow the NBA. It's very popular, uh, but football wouldn't get you real far. Baseball gets you even less. Uh, Chinese have very, they, they don't know anything about baseball. Uh, J- Japanese, South Korean, yes, but not Chinese. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, 
It's a great question. Uh, so yes, the primary, primarily churches in China, the, the vast majority have women involved in leadership. And he said that, but then if you look at his congregation, they don't have any women who are teaching or preaching on Sundays. Uh, but they do have some women who are involved in some of the leadership structure of their church, and they're working to, to, to grow out of that. Um, but, uh, but it is a very common thing. There's a couple factors. One is, historically, through the Cultural Revolution and the, the dark days of Christianity in China, it was grandmas who kind of held true to the faith. And so it was, I mean, there were just women. And, and so when, when the church started to, uh, to reestablish uh, after that time, there were very few male believers. And so that's one of the reasons. Um, and, and then another, there's other reasons that are complex in terms of Chinese culture as, as to why this has happened. An interesting thing is, it's actually very countercultural. I mean, if you look at political, political uh, politicians in China today, you will be very hard-pressed to find women acting in leadership in Chinese culture, even in business. It's very difficult for it's, – it's not like the U.S. So for a man to walk in – a non-Christian to walk into a – a church in China and hear a woman preaching is, is di- very difficult for him to even accept. So it's a, it's a strange thing that it even happens in, in Chinese culture. Um, so there's a strong need. I wouldn't say so much a strong need necessarily for American men to go as missionaries to China as much as for there to be an investment in equipping Chinese men, discipling, mentoring them to be engaged in, in the work of ministry in, in their congregations. Good, good. Maybe one or two more. So there's a question about the the economic situation. Uh, Our cost of living is roughly the same when it comes down to, you know, when you balance everything out. Uh, It's not that much different for us. But we have been living in uh, in a world-class city. Twelve million people, uh, the highest skyscraper in China. The foundation has already been built for in our city. Uh, It's a very prosperous, wealthy place. So the cost of living for us has been higher. We kind of live in between um, the the very wealthy area and the more the more normal everyday area in our city. So we kind of live in between those two. So our our rent is about the same we were paying for our housing payment here in Michigan um, back in back in 2005. <laughs> um, Food, uh, it depends on what you're eating. So, like, if you're talking about vegetables, they're very cheap. But if you're trying to get a hold of certain, you know, Western tastes and ingredients for things that, you know, that we might want for some of our dishes, those might be more expensive. And so then it kind of, it kind of works its works its way out to be about about the same. I can I can eat cheap, lunch for cheap, you know, two dollars lunch consistently. That's really really good. Um, just eating out. Uh, last question right here. Go ahead. Good. How are my wife and children doing with the Chinese language? Um, Kristen is, uh, is gifted in language, so she's doing well, but her opportunity 
has been limited because she's been teaching the boys full time. And then her, her, her relational circle gets, you know, tied into those four boys quite a bit. Uh, we have a woman who comes and helps in our home with cleaning and with, uh, with some cooking at times. And so their relationship is all in Chinese because she doesn't speak any English and that's been good. And she can, they can work through anything they need to uh, and talk through it. Um, she can, she can go to the market and take care of all of her needs, uh, without any difficulty. Um, but she still wants to go further. And actually at the international school, a lot of the staff are Chinese. She'll, she'll probably have more Chinese friends as a result of teaching at this international school than she did teaching in our home with four American boys. So our boys are at different stages. Uh, and this has been one of the biggest, um, in some ways, I don't know, one of the biggest things that surprised us, like an expectation that we had that wasn't realized. And that is, we hoped, you know, everybody says, oh, your boys are going to learn Chinese so much faster than you. Um, and that would be true, given kids' capacity for language, if they had the same motivation we did, and if they were in the same environment as we are. But the reality is, Chinese kids don't have any free time. Chinese kids don't get to have what we would think of as a childhood until they're in college. Because from the time they're in kindergarten to the time that they take the test to get into college, they are studying and they are doing very little else. And we're talking about from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed, they are doing schoolwork. So our boys go out and play soccer in the, you know, in the complex and very seldom is there someone who joins them. And then if we have people over to our home, it's a one child family. So they bring one kid to this family of four. So what language are they going to use? You know, they're all learning English in school anyways. So uh, there have been some challenges for our boys. But they're still taking lessons, and they still know a lot more Chinese than you guys do. Um, and they can understand if we say, hey, let's, let's go get pizza tonight, and we try and use Chinese as a code language, it doesn't work because they know what we're talking about. So uh, we can't use it as a code anymore. Well, thank you so much for the chance to share with you all. Uh, thank you for your partnership and your support of us for your continued prayer. Pastor Ken. Thank you very much, uh, Nathan, for that uh, very helpful update on uh, what the Lord's doing in your family and in your ministry there in China. Uh, I'm sitting there listening to him and thanking the Lord that we as a church can be partnered with families like that. Um, As I told you, Nathan's an outstanding young man, and I think you see that. And the truth is um, the Lord could use him to do anything. And yet he and his family have sacrificed the way they have with their children to be where they are. And you can easily look at a family like that and say, well, you know, there's just some people who are just in that special category. And we don't all serve the same way, but hear this, we all need to be sold out the same way. And so they're just sold out to the Lord and to his cause, and then they're doing what the Lord has positioned them to do. We've got to be just as sold out, even here and whatever assignment the Lord has has given to us. Uh, So very thankful that you're here and thankful for the work that uh, you're doing. Let's uh, thank uh, Nathan for coming, okay? And he has that table out there, and uh, he'll be standing out there uh, to greet you. Make sure you let him know that you appreciate him coming, get some of the literature. 
We're going to close by praying and praying specifically for uh, the Gerhards. So if you don't mind, I'm going to have you come back up, and I'm going to pray for you uh, up here. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord then, okay? Our Father, we thank you for sending us your servant, Nathan. We thank you for his family and your call upon uh, their lives. We thank you for the work that you've done in and through them already in the two and a half years that they've been serving you in China. We thank you for the foundation that's been laid with language and relationships and a bit of understanding the culture. We ask you as they move back then to help them to build on that foundation as they move to this new city that you would uh, work things out so that uh, when the rest of the family arrives, they're ready to go. But Lord, I thank you for what Nathan has testified to and what you have taught him about your shepherding and how even when it doesn't look right for us, even when things are disappointing, you are always at work and things are going according to your schedule at all times. And so we thank you that he has that mindset. We ask you as they minister to grant them partner churches that uh, he can teach and the leaders that uh, he can teach, uh, partner Christians, folks who come to the Lord and need to be taught in the Lord and can be assimilated into these uh, churches. And, Lord, we uh, ask you that you would grant them courage, uh, help him to remember the words uh, that you gave to the great apostle, to fear not, because I have many people in, in this city. And then, Lord, we ask you to grant him joy in the journey, he and his family, as they as they serve you. And, Lord, we thank you. We thank you as a church that we can partner with them, and we thank you for the great privilege of spreading your fame in your world. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. If you'll go out by the table. All right. And you are dismissed. <laughs>